John chapter 3. I'm going to read a portion of Scripture. I'm going to read 20 verses here, so it's going to be a little lengthy, but we're just laying a foundation for you tonight. John chapter 3, beginning at verse number 1. There was a man of the Pharisees. Can you turn me up just in the monitor just a little bit, Brother John? And the man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You're running after the miracles. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say unto you, Unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what, uh, what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation, that that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Amen. First Kings chapter 8, verse 28, the Bible says this, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? If you go back and look at that scripture, you'll see that uh, was asked King Solomon as he dedicated the temple. This was asked of him, will God indeed dwell upon the earth? We're going to talk about Jesus tonight for a few moments. God's glory, as you already know, has dwelt in the tabernacle during the wandering years and then in the Jerusalem temple when it was built. But God's glory had been departed from disobedient Israel. The Old Testament prophets pointed to a coming Messiah some 600 years before the birth of Christ. And because Isaiah wrote, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Matter of fact, Jeremiah even wrote about the new covenant that was written hundreds of years before the birth 
of Christ. He said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, for the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. Can you say praise the Lord for that? Because that's where you and I was at one point in our life. We had sin in our life. We had iniquity in our life. But because of the coming of Jesus Christ, he forgave us of our sin. He forgave us of our iniquity, and he's put us on a pathway worthy of worshiping him. Amen. You also know in Scripture that after the miraculous birth of Jesus, the glory of God appeared to his people once again in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, there's a pastor by the name of Warren Worksby that said this. He said, the writers of the four Gospels have given us snapshots of Jesus' life on earth. For no complete bibliography has ever been written. John concludes his Gospel message by saying, and there is also many other things that that Jesus did, which was if they were written one by one, I probably suppose that even if the world could not itself contain all the things that Jesus did concerning the books that would be written and all of those things. When you look in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, Matthew wrote his Gospel with the fellow Jews in mind, and he emphasized that Jesus of Nazareth had fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. When you go to the book of Mark, Mark wrote for the busy Romans of that day. When you turn to Matthew, he emphasized the king. Mark represented and presented the servant that was ministering to a needy people. When you look at the book of Luke, Luke wrote his gospel for the Greeks, and he introduced them to the sympathetic son of man. But it was given to John, the beloved disciple, the one that says that that he loved God. He leaned on his breast to write a book for both the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And John, he presented Jesus as the the Son of God. The first three Gospels describe the events of the life of Jesus of Christ. But John emphasized the meaning of every one of those events in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There was one major theme, though, that runs through the the Gospel of John that doesn't run through the other three Gospels, and that was this, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. He is the Son of God. He's not just some man that was born. He's not just some man, Sister Jeanette, that that went around doing good. He's not just some man that went around healing the sick and raising the dead. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And can I tell you tonight that he's still the Son of God tonight. He's still on the throne. He's still healing today. He's still setting lives free today. He's still saving souls today. He's still taking the backslider and the sinner and wiping their sin and the iniquity from off their heart and giving them a road on which they need to follow. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus is the Son of God. And we know this, that if you and I will commit ourselves to him, that he gives us eternal life.
But also in addition to this, by committing ourselves to him, he will empower us with the Holy Spirit to equip us for this life that you and I live on earth. He equips us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, do you understand what I'm talking about, that we need the power of the Holy Ghost today in order to decide and do and have our being today? I don't know about you, but we need the power of the Holy Ghost. Salvation is a wonderful thing, but the power of the Holy Spirit gives us just a little extra oomph, if you will, a little motivation, if you will, to fulfill what God has given us through this life that we live. No other belief system, no other religion can make these claims today. He will empower us with the Holy Spirit and equip us to live on this life. Amen. These verses of Scripture, we find Christ encounter with a man named Nicodemus. We read in this third chapter of John this, about this new birth. Nicodemus was originally attracted to Jesus, if you remember, because of the miracles that Jesus performed. He wanted to know more about Jesus, and he wanted to know the doctrines that Jesus taught. Nicodemus, if you don't know this already, was a teacher of the Jews as well. He was a trained man. He was a highly educated man, a Jewish man with a high moral character and a thirst for knowledge, a thirst for knowing all about this man named Jesus. He was one of those Pharisees that was high esteemed, which which meant that he lived for the strictest possible religious rules of the day, this, this Nicodemus that we're talking about. The Bible says that he was a member of the Sanhedrin court. The Sanhedrin represented a ruling body of the Jews in Palestine. It was the Jewish Supreme Court, if you will, or the ruling council made up of the high priest or the president or the chief priest, elders who were family heads and scribes for a total of 71 people the Bible talked about. It executed both civil and criminal jurisdiction according to the Jewish law. But if you look at this, capital punishment cases required the sanction of the Roman procurator. Does this body sound familiar to you? Do do you understand what we're talking about here? It probably should. It probably should bring back some remembrance to us because they obviously played a big part into leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And Nicodemus was deeply sincere in his quest for the truth. There was a man of the Pharisees, the Bible said, named Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night because he didn't want his other folks in and peers to understand that he was going to talk to Jesus. But he knew there was something different about this man. He knew there was something special about this man. And so he'd done whatever he needed to do, Sister Parker, to get to where Jesus is. And let me just stop here long enough to tell you this. Listen, folk, we're living in a day and time that we need to do whatever is necessary in order to get to Jesus this day that we live in. We're living in a cruel world today. We're living in a world that does not know God. We're living in a world that does not respect the house of God anymore. We're living in a world that does not respect you as being a child of God anymore like they used to. We're living in a world that doesn't know Jesus that you and I know today. But this man, he saw something different, and he went to Jesus by night, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. Come from God. And no one else does these signs that you do unless God be with him. That's a powerful statement right there. Jesus answered him and said, Most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Now, now, this is not in my notes, but let me stop here I'm, 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 because we understand we're talking about Jesus here. Jesus, just, just give him this statement here. He said, if you cannot be born again, if you will not be born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. I don't mean to bust anybody's bubble tonight, but we're living in a day where we feel like everybody's going to heaven. Come on. We live in a time where we feel like we don't do no wrong. We've justified everything. And we're going to heaven because Jesus is a good God. He's a loving God. He's a saving God. And yes, he's all of those things. But he's also a God of judgment. You've got to be born again. Born again literally means born from above. Or becoming children of God. Jesus answered that question that Nicodemus does, didn't even ask, basically. He read Nicodemus' heart and he came to the very core of the problem that Nicodemus had that he was searching for. The need for a spiritual change or the need for a spiritual transformation, if you will, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we've ever need a powerful change in our life and our church body today, it's today. If we ever need a powerful transformation that needs to come over our hearts, every one of our hearts, it is today. Amen. We need God to come and do a new thing in our midst. Amen. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, through one phase Through one saying, one phrase, Jesus is addressing the difference in being religious and relying on works and rituals versus a simple act of simply accepting that Jesus is the Son of God. You understand? Nicodemus said to him, Lord, how, how can a man be born again? When he is old, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Because, understand, Nicodemus was a teacher himself, and he understood this, this, this rab- rabbinical uh, method of using figurative language, if you will, to teach a spiritual truth. He's done it many times because he was a teacher of himself. And he was picking up on Jesus' symbolism and what he was trying to say. And Jesus answered said, most assuredly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Jesus here referred not to a, not to a literal water here. Understand that. Not to a literal water, but to the need for a cleansing. How many's ever needed a cleansing before? Oh, yeah. When water was used in the Old Testament, <clears throat> It referred to a, to a renewal or a, or a spiritual cleansing, especially when used in, in the conjunction with that word spirit. Again, these words here from the prophet Ezekiel was written almost 600 years prior to the birth of Christ when it said this, and God said, for I will take you from among the nations. I will gather you out from all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. Hallelujah. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in your life within you. Hallelujah. Thank God for the new spirit that he placed on the inside of us. Hallelujah. Thank God that when somebody understands and recognizes their need for salvation and they come to an old-fashioned altar and they give their heart to the Lord, that he puts a new spirit within them just that simple. He's done a great work. It cost a great sacrifice. But all they had to do is just accept Jesus as the Son of God. Amen. As the Son of God. And he said this. He said, Do not marvel what I say to you. You must be born again. 
He said the wind blows where it wishes, and, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from, or you can't tell where it goes. So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. And you know this as well as I know, just as the, just as the wind can't be controlled by or understood in the effects of, uh, of the witness that it, that it brings to us, it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when you try to explain the Holy Spirit to somebody, it, words doesn't give, didn't come out like, it, like you want it to. You understand it because you feel it, you, you've experienced it but, it, but you can't get it out like you want it to. We can't control it either, can we? We can't understand it sometimes, but we certainly can witness the effects that it has upon our life and the people that we, that we minister to. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be, Lord? This smart man, this educated man, this Pharisee man, this, this, this ruler of the synagogue, how can these things be? And Jesus said to him, are you a teacher of Israel? And you don't know these things? And again, Jesus is, is addressing the fact that Nicodemus was, was recognized as one of the leading teachers of his day. When he spoke, people listened. When he taught, people gathered to hear what he had to say. But early on, Jesus is teaching the difference between being religious and being filled with the Spirit of God. Now, we're going to notice this point in the Scripture here. It seems to change focus. It seems to, seems to turn on, on a different, different level here. The focus turns away from Nicodemus, and it centers on the true meaning of salvation. Listen, that word believe, that word believe is used seven times in these upcoming, in these upcoming verses. The new birth requires an act of faith. Most assuredly, said, I say unto you, we speak what we know and we testify of what we have seen. Or you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things that you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Speaking of salvation here. Jesus focused on the idea that, un- that unbelief is the cause of ignorance today. Can I stop here and tell you that's true? I'm, I'm sort of scared to say this with it being online right now. But I've met ignorant people before. It didn't mean they were dumb. Hello? I've met some educated ignorant people. How about you? Just that it's just don't know, they just didn't know any better. There was three or four, I could give you three or four instances just this past weekend of things that I had to deal with through this wedding ceremony that I'm scratching my head and wondering, do you not know God? Do you not even consider yourself a Christian? And I'm not talking about Karen's family here. (laughs) I, I need to shut up right now. I'm talking about other folks that I didn't know. Jesus focused on this idea because Nicodemus was this very intellectual guy, and he obviously, Jesus, he knew this. He knew this about Nicodemus. But Jesus was not trying to speak to his head, and that's where we mess up sometimes. He was trying to get into his heart, Brother Keith, not his head, his heart. And if man can ever get head out of the way and get heart there, I'm going to tell you, things can get done. God can minister to you if you get your head out of the way. Get the intellect out of the way. I've met some folks that that they felt like so intellectual that they couldn't serve God because they couldn't understand it. By faith, we have to accept some things, right? By faith, 
believing that Jesus died on the cross, by faith accepting the fact that he rose again. He rose again and he died for you and I. He's at the right hand of the Father now. I know him to be true. I feel him in my heart. Have you ever seen him, Pastor? No, but I felt him before. And I know that he's real according to this word of God. Amen. No one has ascended to heaven, Jesus said, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Listen to the words found. Look in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4. It was, this is also written hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. It made this statement. It said, who, who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in its fist? Who has bound the water in, in, in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name if you know? <laughs> If we're speaking tonight about religion, then who else can make these claims? Who else can make these claims? We read the Gospel of Mark and, and we look at the Gospel of Luke and also in the book of Acts that Jesus ascended to heaven in the presence of witnesses. We also know that he was transfigured in the presence of witnesses. We know that for 40 days following his resurrection, Jesus appeared in human form in the presence of hundreds, the Bible said, of witnesses. And to be a witness or to witness means to teach the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that from Scripture that all these witnesses took place. They saw him. They listened to him. They understood the things that he said. The Bible also says that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be what? Be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Talking about Jesus. We look back in the Old Testament, the book of Numbers, that the Israelites were complaining all over again as if they didn't have enough to complain about. They complained to Moses again asking, why do we have to leave Egypt? Why did you, you take us out of there? Why did we have to leave? And they comfort all the, of, the, of their captivity and slavery and all of those things. We ate better there. We drank better there. At least we had somebody somewhere to lay our heads. And, and God was providing everything they needed, but they still didn't see it. And they still complain. The Bible says when Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness, people's physical lives were saved. When Christ was crucified, the symbolism here, lifted up between heaven and earth, lifted up on the cross. When we look upon him, our spiritual lives are saved. Amen. When we accept him as Lord and Savior, our spiritual lives are saved for eternity. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him what might be saved. Amen. And he who believes in him is not condemned. Hallelujah. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Eternal life refers to a divine quality. Do you understand you right now, sitting on the pew that you're sitting, you have a divine quality of life that you're living. Well, pastor, you don't know how my week did. Well, you don't know how how mine went either. But can I tell you that we have a divine quality of life that we're living? Why? Because we're living it in Jesus' name. We're living because we've been saved. We're living because we've been set free. We are living a life today because our sins is underneath. Hallelujah. 
Oh, yeah, the enemy tries to bring them out every now and then. The enemy tries to, to slap them up in our face every now and then, right? But hallelujah, we're saved by grace. So this intellectual teacher, Nicodemus. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that he would become a follower of Christ because he wanted the, he wanted the truth. He wanted the truth. Nothing is mentioned in the effect of the Gospels or nothing written that you find, but I believe that he wanted to follow Christ and be a believer of Christ. He allowed Jesus to speak to him and to his heart. Why you say that, Pastor? You can look a little later in John's Gospel. We find Nicodemus defending Jesus in the presence of the Sanhedrin court. And then also following Christ's crucifixion, Nicodemus risked his own life and reputation by helping to give Jesus' body to a, for a decent burial. Following Jesus' crucifixion along with Joseph of Arimathea, also a member of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus, the Bible said, brought spices and, and helped carry Jesus to the garden tomb nearby where he was crucified. So who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? I want you to think about that just for a little bit. In your own thoughts, in your own mind, who is Jesus to you? Is he somebody that will get you out of trouble? Is he somebody that he's a historical figure that you love reading about and you love reading the, the stories about Jesus? Or is he somebody that is so precious to you that you dare not defile his name? You dare not talk about Jesus. You look to him as a figure, a holy figure, the someone that came and bled and died and gave his life for you. How do we see Jesus today? I think for us to answer that, to discover who Jesus is, we got to begin by reading what was written about his birth. Sometimes we read about this only at Christmas time and we forget about these things, Brother Roger. But listen, 700 years before Christ was born, the prophet Micah said that one would come out of Bethlehem whose beginnings were from eternity past. Hallelujah. The Bible also teaches that Jesus is born of a virgin. After being conceived of the Holy Spirit and the angels, sang to announce his arrival. Hallelujah. We read that by him all things were created, this man Jesus. So Jesus did not originate at birth, but was preexistent with the Father in heaven and was born into the world and he, that he himself had created. Think about that. Wrap your mind around that. He was raised in Nazareth and worked at his earthly father's trade as a young man, as a carpenter. But when he was only 12, they found him discussing theology in the temple with the religious leaders of the day. John the Baptist acknowledged Jesus as the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And a voice from heaven confirmed who Jesus was when it opened up and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus command the blind could see. At Jesus' command, the deaf could hear. At Jesus' command, the paralyzed could walk. He healed all kinds of sickness, and he cast out all kinds of demons. Thousands were fed with just a few loaves and a few little fish. He walked on water. He calmed the raging sea, and he even raised the dead. Yes, he was a miracle worker, but it wasn't that reason that he came. he done all of that stuff, but that's not the reason that he came. It is clear that he was sent from God, and God in reality 
reality. He was God, Brother Parker, in human flesh. People of that day was be able to see him with their eyes. God himself come down from heaven as a man living among them. The crowds, the Bible said, flocked to hear him. Eager for his touch, many loved him and many believed him, but not everybody believed him. Some were indifferent and others were just including the religious leaders. They despised him. And although his life was absolute, a sinless perfection, there were those who sought to destroy him. And today many people, as you already know, still seek to destroy this man called Jesus. But can I tell you that what the government can't do, they can't stop Jesus doing what Jesus is going to do. Jesus said, if I go away, I'm going to come again. I'm coming after my church. I don't care who the president is. I don't care who the Supreme Court is. I'm still coming after a people that's blood-bought and ready to go and see me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise his name. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Hallelujah. 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 He said that he's the son of God in Matthew and that he and the father are one in John and the father one who sent him in John chapter 5. He also announced that he did not come to serve or to be served but to serve. I want to say that one more time because sometimes we miss that. Why you want to say it one more time, Pastor? Because we need to get it. Pick your feet up just a little bit. As long as I can remember, Brother Wendell, they keep telling us this statistic. That 20% of the people of the church do 80% of the work. Stop it. We need to change that statistic. Jesus Christ did not come to be served. He came to serve. And if he came to serve, who are you and I just to sit down and let somebody serve us? Oh, I'm preaching better than you're shouting. Hallelujah. He came to serve. And he came to give us life as a ransom for many in Matthew. He came, the Bible said, as a substitute payment in behalf of humanity. He agreed with his accusers when they called him the king of the Jews. John revealed that he claimed to be the good shepherd who loves his sheep in John chapter 10. The bread of life who can prevent hunger in John chapter 6. And the true vine who abides in us as we abide in him in John chapter 15. Jesus also said that he was adored to heaven. And in John chapter 14 he expanded on the thought when he said I am the way I am the truth I am the life and no man comes to the father except through me he is the good shepherd tonight he is the bread of life he is the way he is the truth and very life itself is in the name of Jesus Christ why don't us just one time just call his name come on say Jesus say Jesus he is life tonight he is the truth tonight. He is the eternal son of God, the living God. He is the eternal savior of the world and the one who will someday judge each and every one of us today. On the cross, it was not simply a man that was hanging there and simply a man that was dying there. It was an awesome eternal scene in which God the Father placed his son, the sin debt of all mankind, past, present, and future upon his shoulders that he died and he hung there and he bled there for you and I Thank God for salvation. Thank God for freedom today. Thank God for his love today that he set us free. We no longer have to walk in in condemnation. We no longer have to walk with sin on our life. I can live free today. I can get up tomorrow morning and say, thank you, God. I'm free. I'm living in you. 
Hallelujah. <laughs> Musicians come. Jesus said, matter of fact, let me back up just a little bit. He did exactly what he promised. He did exactly what he promised. What he promised, Pastor, I'm going to rise from the dead. He did exactly what he promised. Even his disciples were shocked. How I many the guys that hung around with him for three and a half years? The guys that knew him, the guys that he talked to all this time, they were even shocked. And though he told them ahead of time, with his resurrection, Jesus settled once and for all that there is life after death, not just for himself, but for all those who believe. His resurrection proves today that everything he ever said is true. Hallelujah. It's true. Jesus said he's coming back. Boy, I can't wait. He said he's coming back. Knowing the truth of who Jesus is means that you're confronted tonight and I'm confronted with a decision. Will we believe in the testimony of the Scriptures and receive him or will we turn our back on the truth and walk away to a hopeless eternity? What are we going to believe? See, the next time you see a manger scene, that may be Christmas when you do this, but the next time you see a manger scene, remember who's lying there. His life, his death, his words about himself and his resurrection. Jesus is not just a baby anymore. He's not a baby anymore. He's the son of God. Hallelujah. He's the son of God sitting at the father's right hand with all of the sovereign power of the universe and with the offer of eternal life to anybody who believes on him. It is Jesus that we're speaking of tonight. It is his, it is Jesus, the holy one of, 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 of Jerusalem tonight. It is Jesus tonight, the one that gives us life and gives it to us more abundantly. It's Jesus that they spoke about six and seven and 800 years prior to him coming. Behold, there's coming a lamb. He's going to take away the sin of the world. And all we've got to do is accept him. All we've got to do is accept him. Boy, I want to go so, I want to go so many places right here. But I'm afraid to, to be honest with you. Not because of you. We're living in a day, we're living in a, in a world... Sister Toby, they, a lot of places that you go, people don't revere Christ. They don't, even, they don't consider him anymore. They call themselves Christian. And I can't help but think of what I told you here last Sunday, I think it was, with William Booth and a statement and a, and a prophetic statement that he made about that he was afraid that the culture and the, the coming generations that we're going to be, we're going we're gonna to have Christianity without Christ. We're going to have heaven without a hell. You can't do it. You can't do it. I don't care how you slice it, you can't do it. And the reason our world is in so much chaos today that we've left the truth and we've tried to sidestep the truth. We've tried to believe what we want to believe to make it comfortable for you and I. You can't do it. My Bible tells me, Sister Carolyn, that, that the gospel sometimes is offensive. It's offensive sometimes. I got a call a few days, a few weeks ago, really. 
They said, this is a person I knew, knew sometime, but they've been moved away for a long time. Said, Pastor, I'm getting married. I said, well, hallelujah, proud for you. I want you to marry me. I said, do you? I said, well, as I normally do, when do you want me to marry you? Well, I'm coming up tomorrow. I said, really? No, I take that back. This was, that was a few days ago I talked to her. But, on the, but the second time they called, she said, I'll, I'm, we're leaving the house now, and I'll be there within an hour. And she said, I want you to marry us because we have connections. I said, well, I appreciate that. And I said, but I can't marry you. She said, why? I said, what are my, what are my things? When I marry somebody, I want to talk to them. I want to find out who you are. What's been going on in your life? How, how's God treating you? How are you treating God? How's your spouse? How are y'all coming together? You know, all those important things. But we don't look to those things as important anymore. We just think we can go and do this and do whatever we want to. And sometimes as a pastor and being friends with this one and that one, it's hard. I'm just going to be honest with you to say no. It's hard sometimes. But we cannot get off the truth. We can't get off the path that God has us on. There's a right way and a wrong way to do things in our walk with Christ. And he tells us all about that in his word. And Sister Marilyn, I feel like if I do some of these things, I've got to stand before Jesus one day, and I will. I'll give an account for everything that I've done or not done. Everything that I've said or not said that I should have. Hello? As hard as it may be, God help me. And I hope you pray for me every week to say, Pastor, Lord help Pastor, keep preaching the truth. Don't sidestep the truth. If Jesus, if we want Jesus Lord over our life, we got to be right with him. If we want Jesus Lord over our church, we as a, as a, as a corporate body, we've got to be right when we stand before God. Hallelujah. Jesus, this Jesus I've introduced to you, and you've already known all of this stuff. I've just reminded you of who he is. He's coming back. He's coming back one day. He's coming back, and he's looking after a church. He's looking after a blood-bought, white, pure church. What are you going to do? Are you going to accept him? Are you going to believe the testimony of the Scriptures and receive him, or are you just going to turn back and walk away? to face a hopeless eternity. Father, I want to thank you tonight. I want to thank you for your touch upon our life. I want to thank you, God, because you sent your son. And Lord, I probably don't preach it enough. You sent your son, Jesus, to die for me, for every one of us. I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you for it. Tonight, God, we just want to take a little time just to worship you. Jesus, we want to take a little time to give you honor. We want to take a little time to give you praise tonight for everything that you mean to us tonight, Lord. Lord, I don't take for granted my salvation. I don't take for granted what you've done for me in my life and my family, oh God. When I look around and I talk to people all the time and concerning their families and their life of how fragmented and wasted and they're just messed up. 
God, I look and I'm so blessed tonight because as far as I know, my children and my wife and my family, oh God, is serving you. And our church is serving you. And I thank you for that. I don't take it for granted. I thank you, Lord. Thank you. Sister Michelle gets ready to sing. This is the way the Lord has instructed me to close this service tonight. I just want us to come around this altar. I just want you to stand. I want you to kneel however you, however you feel comfortable. If you want to walk around, that's fine too. But I want us to take a little time to worship him, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Jesus Christ, our soon-coming King. He's the reason that we're here tonight. Amen. Would you come as they get ready to sing, and let's worship and magnify him tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.